The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. On SAFM. An update on Zimbabwe and an update on Guinea. Business in Zimbabwe is worried after the power distribution company, that is Zimbabwe Electricity Transmission and Distribution Company, announced that it will continue with the rollout of daily 12-hour power cuts due to limited generation at its thermal plant. Now, the Zimbabwean power utility says repairs on the dam at Kariba Hydropower Station have compounded its challenges. The country's Chamber of Commerce says that outages continue to cripple an already battered and bruised economy. The load shedding is being implemented countrywide and it includes industrial areas as well as agriculture. Think of the impact of that. The load shedding is expected to be particularly painful for wheat farmers who are currently irrigating their crops. The question is, will Zimbabwe ever get over the economic woes. They seem to be jumping from one fire pit into another. That's the conversation first up with African Affairs Analyst at Channel Africa, Mr. Nixon Katembo. My brother, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Good evening, Songezo, and good evening to your listener, and I hope I did not pull a J.P. Smith on your name and pronounce it correctly. (laughs) I love it. Brilliant. No, you did not. Good one. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'm a South African. I deal with ESCOM and Zimbabweans are dealing with ZETDC. What are the similarities? They do sound to be very similar. I think uh, we have to look at uh, the power generation in Zimbabwe, which is pretty much similar to that of South Africa. Uh, you spoke of uh, the Hangwe generation, um, which is relied on coal, although it's a uh, original um, uh, installations was due to produce about uh, destinations about 920 megawatts but this has been functioning on 60 percent capacity i'm not going to be uh, naive to pretend that i'm an energy expert but uh, uh, these are uh, actually uh, the figures that have have been spoken of by many energy analyst in that country. So um, the similarity, I think, here is the reliance on on coal um, uh, production for energy. But at the same time, a uh, problem with the, such as uh, the Kariba Dam, uh, which has uh, had uh, challenges with maintenance issues in as much of what is happening here in the country with ESCOM, therefore drawing those similar problems in both countries um, and, and it remains to be seen how um, the government in Zimbabwe is going, is going to deal with the energy production. And unfortunately, in both countries, um, South Africa still has enough deposits for coal um, uh, which can produce uh, energy for, for the next 100 years according to uh, energy experts. In as much as Zimbabwe, uh, the uh, the coal generation, I mean the coal deposit there, are said to be about uh, $80 billion, uh, which can last Zimbabwe for also the next 100 years. So you ask about the similarity between the two countries. You look at the mineral deposit in terms of coal, you look at the production of energy in terms of reliance on coal, but also the aging infrastructure in both countries. 
Let's talk about the source. I mean, aging infrastructure is always going to be a source of concern for public infrastructure, certainly large-scale public infrastructure as a dam is that provides electricity. The talk of a 100-year capacity supply is very encouraging, but at the same time, let's talk about the fact that Zimbabweans right now are going through half a day without electricity. What in the main is being attributed to that? I think in the main, it's a lack of, uh, let's quite be frankly, lack of uh, vision for the country uh, in terms of political leadership. And if you have the politics right, you have the governance of everything right, you wouldn't have issues of, uh, um, uh, you know, maintenance of key infrastructure for the development because in any country, they have to be a projection based on the growth of the economy, also based on the growth of the population. And as the population grow, so does the economy grow, so does the consumption grow. And I think if political leaders are not getting this right, this is where comes the problem, and therefore it affected the businesses, it affects also the economic uh, growth patterns of the country, and therefore it crippling in, in a way that um, now the country is facing uh, to the extent of having blackouts. Are you in a position to comment as to the stability of the company itself? I mean, we're talking about ESCOM in this context as well, where for the longest time there doesn't seem to be an effective leadership or a leadership that is sufficiently absolved of the politics that pertain in Zimbabwe, to the extent that now the Zimbabwe Electricity Transmission and Distribution Company is concerned. What can you say insofar as it relates to its leadership, and will it be sufficiently shelled from the interferences to which you might have alluded to in your previous response as to the politics that pertain in Zimbabwe in the traditional sense? Unfortunately, Songhezo, for both for South Africa and Zimbabwe, if you look at it, the political leadership has much hand in what is happening in the state institutions. And the state institutions which are supposed to uh, kind of be the beacon of production for the economy in terms of making sure that everything else runs smoothly, especially for state-owned institutions, it is difficult to 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 actually disassociate the leadership on the top in terms of politics with the leadership at the state institution, especially with the public servants. And I think that is a major challenge for Zimbabwe. But at the same time, also, you look at where Zimbabwe finds itself with the economic sanction. Uh, also, the other geopolitical issues that might not necessarily come to the fore into the discussions uh, but we, there are also external factors, interests with, with the companies wanting to invest into the electricity generation in Zimbabwe uh, to play as well, based on who want to do the business with the government of Zimbabwe. Let's continue the conversation. And here is a contribution from Donald on WhatsApp, who has so eloquently put some of the challenges that are facing the corporation. And I'm going to read that out in a minute. But certainly those of you who are listening, please do participate. And I'm happy to take a call. Johannesburg 714-2006 in this conversation with Mr. Nixon Katembo, African Affairs Analyst at Channel Africa. An update on Zimbabwe, particularly the 12-hour um, power 
cuts that they have now to contend with. Donald in Rustenburg says, Good evening, Songhezo and team. The main reason for the power failures in Zimbabwe is old infrastructure at Kariba Thermal Power Station as well as Kariba Hydro Power Station. So ZEDTC and ZESA, that's Zambia, cannot provide adequate electricity to the nation. Of course, now this of this engages cross-border politics because it is a joint effort, if you like, because this is sitting on the edge of Lake Kariba, uh, this hydropower station. So it can't just be a Zimbabwe issue and a Zimbabwe issue alone because Zambia is as much a party here, given the situate of the power station and the dam itself. Can you comment on that? Yes, I, I think when the construction of this dam happened, there was a source of a a vision uh, among the leadership on both countries, uh, both sharing especially the history of liberation. Uh, you would know uh, the late President Kenneth Kaunda in Zambia was at the forefront of the liberation in Southern Africa. And whether the political leadership both in Zambia and Zimbabwe still have the same vision uh, that is a uh, discussions that can uh, that can be dealt with. Uh, but for this specific issue that uh, uh, Donald, I think, has mentioned, he is quite correct uh, um, uh, in saying um, that uh, of uh, uh, the infrastructure at Kariba Dam uh, are at the center of this. But for me, as a person who watches the, the, the politics on the continent, I'm more much interested in what are the leaders themselves doing, because they, you cannot say that the infrastructure are aging without the political leadership in making sure that they plan for the country. They maintain the key infrastructure that in are critical for the development of the country. And I think that's where we need to start from before even talking about the return, maintenance, and all of those issues that are, goes along with the generation production. I have not introduced you as a Sangoma, but perhaps you might just forecast as to what may be the implication for South Africans who are listening to this conversation. Of course, we know what happens generally in regional instability, what happens. What would or what might be the implication for South Africa now that Zimbabwe has this? I mean, this is a major challenge. The fact that they've got this now, I mean, it has prompted the Minister of Mines and Mining Development, Mr. Winston Chitando, I mean, suggesting that these power cuts have the effect of some $43 billion in, an, in, in annual energy exports that will not be generated by Zimbabwe as a result of this. Somebody at some point has to feel the brunt of that. And I'm asking because, of course, Zimbabwe will feel it. What might be the regional implication for South Africa specifically be insofar as it relates to now the ripple effect of this? Of course, the regional implications around the issue of trade relations between the two countries. You would recall that uh, South Africa exports Zimbabwe, uh, I mean, export, uh, um, uh, sell Zimbabwe or uh, electricity to Zimbabwe, but that is not enough for the production and the economy of Zimbabwe as a whole. Uh, and if uh, it's going to be uh, affected by these power cuts, that means that it is more economic wars uh, for the country. That means that you are likely to see migrations uh, uh, happening uh, based on economic uh, push factors from the, from the country. 
but also uh, the reliance of Zimbabwe on South Africa in terms of key um, uh, um, key necessity goods. Uh, if we are not going to produce in Zimbabwe, then South Africa bear the brand as well and other uh, re, uh, neighboring countries in making sure that uh, the people there uh, and the economy somehow uh, is at float in terms of uh, key services. So uh, you have these issues interrelated within the region. And if one thing happens in Zimbabwe, uh, it's likely to affect uh, 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 the, the next country in Zambia or in South Africa owing to also the historical uh, interlinks uh, between the people of Zimbabwe and the rest of the region. Fantastic. Let's take a call because we do have one from Durban. Wynn is the name. Good evening, Wynn. Sungeza, good evening to you and your guest. I'd just like to make one sort of observation, is that um, the thermal power station at Hwangi was probably built about 60 or 70 years ago. Where is that power station? It's an extremely old power station. It has been upgraded, but it is an extremely old power station. Where is the power station, sorry? Well, what used to be known as Wanky, but now Hwangi, H-W-A-N-G-E. It's on top of the coal field there. It's an extremely old power station. Then the Kariba Dam was built, I think, in the 1960s. Initially, there was a, a power station on the uh, Zimbabwe side, well, then Rhodesian side, now Zimbabwe side of the of the dam, and then subsequently another power station built on the Zambian side. And, of course, they have also had the droughts last year and the year before. So the, the Kariba Dam, is the sort of dam levels were extremely low. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that the the population of, of uh, let's just look at Zimbabwe, has grown substantially since then. But since 1980, when it became Zimbabwe, they have not built any new electrical generation capacity, but the demand has grown. Mm. I mean, all they did was sit with what Ian Smith and and the the colonial powers left them. They have not contributed anything, built any new power stations whatsoever. So there's no surprise that there's now a terrible shortage. Your thoughts on that, Nixon? Because, I mean, what our caller on the line, when in Durban, is suggesting is, and it's something which many South Africans might relate to, to the fact that generally a lot of public infrastructure, major public infrastructure, has been inherited from the previous regime stroke dispensations, and this is a call as to the adequacy of administration's post. Your thoughts? And of course, these are issues that I think I mentioned earlier in the discussions, the lack of a vision and the strategic planning for the countries as the population grow, as your call has just mentioned. And if if the leadership on the continent, this will not happen only in Zimbabwe. We're looking at it almost across the continent where we have a serious population growth, but our leadership on the continent is not planning enough uh, both for for social development, but also for economic development, and that is a challenge that we are going to face. Although Zimbabwe uh, had signed a kind of couple of deals with the 
the Chinese company to to build a coal uh, stations in the western uh, Zimbabwe. Uh, but it seems that the 600 megawatt that the, that company, uh, Chinese company Africa Sunlight was going to produce is not going to be enough for for the needs uh, of electricity in the country. And that shows you how much the lack of uh, of leadership in terms of planning, uh, in terms of forecasting uh, the population growth of the country and therefore planning accordingly going forward uh, is a major challenge and these are problems that are, are bound to happen uh, in the future as well. And unless uh, we start um, having leadership that think uh, beyond the present moment uh, when they are in power uh, or any leadership positions, uh, then uh, we're likely to face those challenges. Let's talk about Guinea, another African leader deposed by the military, and that's because he had exhausted his two-term limit and he wanted to change the constitution because the seat was too comfortable. Same old, same old, just a different role player. Your thoughts on that? Of course, uh, the, the Guinea story is a, is a, a very sad one. Um, uh, Alpha Conde, who oh, quite... Uh, came in as, a, as a, the first elected democratic leader uh, changing the constitution in that country and uh, uh, subsequently, you know, uh, going for a third term is a very sad uh, situation. But what is happening in Guinea is really I have a different uh, thought in a way that if you analyze those who are involved in the coup and in the manner in which it happened, it leaves much so, so questions to be, uh, I mean, to be asked. No, you're right. There uh, is potentially a third hand there, and it's always from across the Atlantic. So get to it. What is that conspiracy? Uh, basically, this is not just a conspiracy. Uh, if uh, uh, if you look at the coup leader, uh, Mama Dumpuya, he is uh, what they call a f- former French legionnaire. This is a foreign uh, uh, military mm-hmm. uh, special forces in France that uh, uh, admit French, so, uh, I mean, foreign soldiers into the French army, and uh, he was called uh, by uh, Alpha Conte to come and uh, uh, build the special forces uh, for uh, in responsible for the protection of the president, but also interestingly working together with the Ministry of Defense in Guinea in collaboration with the. With the French uh, the military, the military, so it shows you how much the nature of a person who is taking power. But at the same time, what is curious though is the fact that Dumbuya himself have been uh, having a collaboration. His military unit have been having collaboration with the Afri- Africa uh, Command, which is the U.S. Um, uh, military army on the continent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have done that uh, uh, joint exercise in Burkina Faso. Um, and uh, if just for the for the sake of your listeners, if they go on the U- U.S. Embassy web uh, Facebook page in the, the U.S. Embassy in Conakry, in the capital city, you will see Dumbuya uh, as photos um, uh, on the page, on the, on that page and. Uh, uh, down there is the caption writing that the U.S. military is working in collaboration with uh, uh, the, 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 
the Guinean forces. So it tells you how much in the hand of the West is in the military coup in Guinea. But what is at stake here? Uh, Guinea is a, 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 a world producer of bauxite, which is one of the mineral, uh, uh, precious mineral that uh, is uh, that produce aluminium. At the same time, Guinea has the world's largest um, uh, iron ore deposits uh, after Australia. So the control of these mineral resources is key to uh, uh, development, especially industrial development around the iron, uh, steel iron in in major, major countries. And China had uh, signed the deals uh, worth of uh, $60 billion with the Guinean government in exchange for infrastructure. But you see that the training of these uh, soldiers in France and uh, the collaboration with the United States uh, linking up with Chinese uh, uh, interest in Guinea uh, are more likely to have been at the center of the coup, not necessarily that, uh, it, about, not necessarily about the aspiration of the Guinean people who were protesting. In a, in it's an imperial agenda, if year. you like. Then it's an imperial agenda that manifests in a coup. But of course, this is something that has to be engaged. And shall we go to our caller in Durban, Sakile? It has been a while. Welcome back, Sakile. Your call has to be short, though. Good evening. Uh, all right, um, it's aluminium, it's aluminium, it's aluminium in Guinea, and it's iron ore, and it's sponsored by the West. I mean, the soldier is trained by the U.S., AFRICOM, African command of the U.S. military. The man is married to a French national. I mean, what, what more do you want? And the BBC described him as charismatic. Like, who describes a soldier as charismatic? Where do you find a soldier that is charismatic? So, uh, <laughs> it's all about aluminium, it's all about iron ore. You don't have to, to like the deposed president, you don't have to like his agenda, you can be against his agenda, but the people who are replacing him, they're just as bad. It's like Mali, Mali, same thing happened in Mali. And yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, man. Seems to echo what essentially you were getting to. Final comments then from you, Nixon Katembo. Um, what is the situation now more likely to unfold as are we going to see essentially another African surrogate countries kowtowing to the interests essentially of the NATO alliance here? One of the major problems, Songez, is that uh, Africa, again, if you look at the trend of these military coups in West, French West Africa, to me, as a person who follow military movement and the politics on the continent, I'm worried that Africa is becoming a new front line or a, front, a frontier for, for, for another kind of a new Cold War era type of um, uh, confrontation between uh, China and uh, Western powers, particularly the United States and France. Uh, I'm saying this because if he, even the coup in Mali uh, uh, which is led by by uh, by the the, the, the coup leader there, uh, Asimi Goita. Uh, it's it's happened in a similar fashion, and both Goita and uh, uh, Mamadi Dumbaya were trained both in France. They have been collaborating and were in the same uh, training class uh, uh, under Africom. 
So, as the caller mentioned there, it tells you how much. However, for for the African continent, I don't know if our current crop of leadership uh, look at this from the strategic point of view and understand the geopolitics that happening uh, that is happening under, right under their their feet uh, and. Uh, 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 to the detriment of the of the aspiration of the African mm. people. Quick question. And, uh, Quick question. Sorry, because I literally have a minute left. In fact, I've got less than a minute. Would the fact that Alpha Conde, winning the election in October, this after changing the constitution, which initially had given him a two-term limit, now he was in effectively his third term. The violence that was the outbreak following that election, which was and probably still remains very disputed by his opposition, could that have been the straw that broke the camel's back that ultimately made the conditions conducive for what we are now seeing? Could he have been, in many respects, part of the architecture of his downfall? Of course, the people of Guinea were yearning for change. They All across the continent where these military coups and conflicts happen, if you look at it, in a more democratic principles and faces, you will see that the people themselves demand change, political, real political change and service at a local level. But in turn, this breeds uh, a conducive environment for these to be used. I don't think in any iota of my imagination that the people of Guinea wanted a coup d'etat or want the military rule to, to take over from Conte. I think they wanted a genuine democratic change, and unfortunately for Guinea, is that the military have have are riding now on the aspiration of the people to implement the agenda of 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 uh, these uh, uh, Western powers in in making sure that they hold the natural resources of the country. I love your perspectives. Be very sure to get another call from us again. Thank you so much, Mr. Nixon Katembo, African Affairs Analyst at Channel Africa. Your, 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 your thoughts are very progressive. I appreciate that. Very engaging. Thank you. 2147, as soon as it started, so quickly it ends. That was The Viewpoint, everybody. We'll have a date again next week, 20th and 21st of September. Until then, be safe, be good, and keep progressing. Bye-bye.